You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Morning, everyone. Reading from Matthew um, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35 from the NIV, the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold, repay the debt, to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Thanks, Don. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here on this Wet Sydney morning. Well done for getting out. An hour and a half ago, I looked outside. Whoo, sheets of rain. Thought we'd be paddleboarding to church, but here we are. It's good to be here. Welcome to everybody and welcome to our newest member of the church. We have little Arthur out the back here. How old, Tom? How old is? Five days old. Can we give it up for Tom and Joe? Pretty amazing. Little Dan is big brother now, and wow, little Arthur, five days old, welcome. It's amazing to see you guys out, fantastic. No excuses for all the rest of us, eh? (laughs) Fantastic. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are there two more profound words in the English language? Are there two words that carry more possibility of hope, of change, of reconciliation? Are there two words that have more ability to redeem friendships, repair marriages, restore mothers to sons, fathers to daughters, even heal divisions between nations? I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Can melt hearts, can't 
can repair wounds, can change a life. And yet, as many of us know, it can be incredibly hard to say those two words, I'm sorry. Well, this is our topic for today, forgiveness. In this series, A Better Story, uh, this is the final message in this series. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've absolutely loved it. We've been asking questions of the Christian faith and seeing, can it hold up? Can the Christian faith hold up under the scrutiny of science? What about suffering? How could God allow that? Where do we put our hope? Isn't God a killjoy? If you're interested to answers of those questions, I encourage you to check out the podcast or YouTube. You can, you can see the messages in the series. Today we ask the question, how do I forgive? How do we do it? How do I forgive? A big question, hey? And this issue of forgiveness, it's not something only Christians have to deal with, right? It's not a Christian thing. It's a human issue. I can't imagine there's many people in this room, there are many people in the world that haven't been wronged and have had to wrestle with what to do next, yeah? Retaliate, we'll forgive. Seek vengeance, Seek reconciliation, pay back or absorb the cost. We've all got a choice to make in that moment, don't we? I found this quote uh, from C.S. Lewis to be very true. Everyone thinks forgiveness is such a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. Don't you reckon? It just sounds lovely. And let's be honest, the offer of forgiveness is great. But when we're the ones... They have to offer forgiveness. It moves from the philosophical, from nice feelings to concrete reality. The harsh lights are turned on. Things become real. Before we launch into a message on forgiveness, I'm pretty conscious of this quote I read uh, this week by author Elizabeth O'Connor. She says this, Despite a hundred sermons on forgiveness, we do not forgive easily, nor find ourselves easily forgiven. Forgiveness, we discover, is always harder than the sermons make it out to be. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm listening. So it's going to take more than one message. It's going to take more than one sermon to deal with this topic. And I'm not going to start by making the mistake of saying it's easy. But we're going to make a start. Here's a question for us. Does the Christian faith offer any resources in this area? Now, what do I mean by that? If you're a Christian person and you're struggling to forgive, is there any help? I mean, does it make a difference if you're a Christian? Can your faith help you? Now, do Christians often struggle to forgive? Yes. Can people outside of the Christian faith, outside of the church, practice forgiveness and reconciliation? Of course. But what difference does it make being a Christian? What difference does it make when it comes to the question, how do I forgive for people of faith? The answer, I think, is a lot. Excuse me, I've just got my insulin pump giving me notifications. Hold on one second. Okay, we're good. I think answering the question, does being a Christian make a difference? The answer is a lot. Here's why. Forgiveness 
is at the heart of Christianity, right? We know this. There is no Christian faith without it. God's forgiveness central to what it means to become a Christian. No two ways about it. All must seek forgiveness through repentance, through Christ, in order to be made right with God, adopted into his family, enter into the kingdom of God, be born again. But a sticking point maybe is this. Forgiveness doesn't end there. Jesus, he just couldn't have made it more central to his kingdom than including it in what we now call the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And just in case you didn't pick it up, Jesus continues two verses later with the theme. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. How I wish it weren't so clear. But unfortunately, there's no theological gymnastics that we can do here to change the meaning. There's no, let's go back to the original language and see what Jesus really meant. Can't do that here. Okay, we can't, I'm sorry. Jesus is clear and so is Paul, the Apostle Paul, when writing to the Ephesians and the Colossians. Let's just look really quickly. Bear with each other. I love that. I love that. Bear with each other. Paul knows getting on with you folks isn't easy. You've got to bear with one another, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear. Forgiven people, forgive. Forgiven people, forgive. It's clear. It's not complicated. It's simple. Is it easy? No. But it's not an optional extra either. It's not an optional optional extra. It's not what keen Christians do for extra credit, you know? How some of us wish it were the case. It's foundational. And not even that. Here's where it gets tricky. Not just foundational. It's conditional. Do you notice that? Jesus hinges God's forgiveness on our willingness to forgive others. Forgive us our sins as we forgive. Oh, those two letters, as. As we forgive. It's not easy. It's so not easy that author Philip Yancey, great Christian author, calls forgiveness an unnatural act. It's unnatural. He says this, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you don't see cats forgiving dogs for chasing them. You don't see dolphins forgiving sharks for taking a bite out of them, right? We don't witness it in the natural world. We don't witness forgiveness in the natural world, do we? It's dog eat dog. You know that, I know that. And it just feels natural to pay back evil with evil. You see it in kids. One kid hits one, it's just automatic. I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to... How much of our lives have we spent? The three kids across the back, hit, 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 hit. It's just normal. Much of the world works on the logic of unforgiveness. Notice that, the logic of unforgiveness. The Middle East, Northern Ireland, tribal wars, you wrong me, I'll wrong you. Never forgive, never forget. Killings after killings, revenge after revenge. Gandhi said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. 
But Jesus offers a different way. He offers a better way, a better story when it comes to forgiveness. He tells a story about forgiveness, the parable Don read for us before. He tells a story. But just before that, the apostle Peter, the disciple at the time, Peter, comes to Jesus with a question. How long do I have to forgive this knucklehead? How many times do I have to forgive this person? We may have all thought it ourselves. Jesus, how many times have I got to forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? Seven times? Back then, rabbis taught three times was enough. Three strikes? I don't know, maybe. That, and that seems like a lot. Three times and then write them off. That person's not worth being in your life, right? Three times seems like a lot. So Peter thinks, I know. I'll say seven times because that's like more than double and Jesus will think I'm heaps merciful. Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Well, classic Jesus always blows our ideas of what being merciful are, blows it out of the water. He says, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, let's do a little bit of original language here, okay? It could mean 77 or seven times 70. Not super clear. So either 77 times or 490 times. But you know what? Precise calculation is exactly what Jesus is not going for here, right? It's pretty hard to keep track. Is this the 57th or 59th time I'm forgiving you? Or the 342nd or the 300, right? As if you can do that. It's impossible. It's impossible to keep counting, so stop counting and keep forgiving. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, it sounds nice, but is it practical? I mean, come on, can we really live like this? Well, then the master storyteller, Jesus, tells a story. Maybe because of the look on Peter's face. How many times? Peter, have a seat. Let me tell you a story. And it goes like this. A king wants to settle his accounts, so brings in before him a servant who owes him a lot of money. We're talking tens of millions of dollars. We don't know how he incurred the debt, but it's a lot of money. A lot of money. Tens of millions of dollars. We're told just simply he can't pay the debt. And so him and his family and all he had it to be sold to make up a tiny bit of what it would have cost, right? Sold everything. So everything can go towards paying the debt off. But then the servant begs, be patient with me and I will repay everything. But this guy's dreaming. Lots of lifetimes he could never pay it off. Impossible, couldn't do it. He's clutching at straws, saying anything to get out of his punishment. He's squirming, and you can understand. And then the strangest thing happens. The master, you heard it, takes pity on him, cancels the debt, lets him go. An incredible thing to do. Let's not gloss over that too quickly. An incredible thing to do. And what an act of mercy. A second chance this man is given. And what does he do with it? What does he do with this new found freedom? He goes out. He finds another servant who owes him maybe five, ten grand. Not nothing, not tens of millions. Gets him by the neck. Pay back what you owe. And that servant says the exact same thing to him. 
that he said to his master, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. This time there's a real possibility that it could happen, right? No. He doesn't show mercy. He throws this man in prison until it can be paid back. It's so confronting, isn't it? It's supposed to be. So confronting. It's hard to like this servant, isn't it? The parable is called the parable of the unmerciful servant for a reason. Tough to like this guy. After being shown such extreme, incredible kindness, he can be so callous and harsh with someone else. Well, the king hears it. King hears how he's treated the other servant. He's outraged. He says, shouldn't you have treated your fellow servant like you had been treated? And then he's thrown in jail. And Jesus finishes the parable with these chilling words, echoing, really, the Lord's Prayer. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. You see, under Roman law, the unmerciful servant, the one who was forgiven tens of millions, he had every right to demand the five, ten grand back from that other servant. He had every right. It was the law. And if that other servant, if, if he couldn't pay him back, he had every right to throw him in debt as prison until he could even make him a slave until that debt was cleared. He had every right. But of course, you know where this is going. So did the master. He had every right. Same question. He had every right to destroy this man's life because of the millions he owed him. The same law applies. And of course, the question for the unmerciful servant, it's the same question you and I must face. What law would you like to be under? What law would you like to be under? The law of rights? Give me what I deserve. Or the law of mercy and grace? The law of unforgiveness? The logic of unforgiveness or the makes-no-sense logic of forgiveness. You can't have it both ways. You see, the thing about forgiveness is somebody always pays. Yeah, Somebody's got to pay. It costs the king to forgive that servant's massive debt. He might have ended up still being a very wealthy man, but he's giving up his right to ever seeing that money again. Yep. Never going to see it again for that debt to be paid. It doesn't just disappear. The king is wounded because of his generosity. See? And it's the same with God, of course. Right? His forgiveness is wonderful, but it comes at a great cost. Somebody's got to pay. Is it going to be you? Jesus Christ, as we know, paid the debt we never could through his death so we could be free. Forgiveness always comes at a cost. Forgiveness is always costly. And we can't beg for, embrace, love the forgiveness of God through Christ and then demand our rights when it comes to forgiving others. Can't have it both ways. Because in the act of forgiveness, we do give up our rights because God gave up his. I mean, do we really want God to operate on the basis of rights and justice when it comes to our sin? I'll take grace any day. Forgiven people 
forgive. Now, when we choose to withhold forgiveness from others, we're not only choosing to act contrary to how God, act toward, God acts toward us, we're also hindering our own spiritual lives. Let me say that again. When we refuse, I'm not going to forgive, what are we doing there? We're not only acting the exact opposite way to how God reacted to us and not only being disobedient to His Word, in that process, we're hindering our spiritual lives. Let me explain. I found this quote, as I was doing some research this week, pretty profound. Most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. I had to read that a few times to, to let it sink in. It's a quote by Neil Anderson, profoundly challenging. Most of the ground that Satan gains in the lives of Christians is due to unforgiveness. Now, I think this is true. After meditating on this all week, I think this is true. I mean, it's been said, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. You heard that? You know, we're the ones that are damaged by the poison of unforgiveness. Why? Let me ask you, what does it breed? What does it breed? Oh, I'm not going to forgive. What does that breed? Bitterness, resentment, anger, maybe even hatred. Let me ask you, is that the fruit of the Spirit? When Jesus is calling us to forgive, I'm not pretending it's easy. But when Jesus is calling us to forgive, just maybe he's offering us a better way. A better way to live. Maybe the way of freedom and peace. Because forgiveness, it's deciding to live with the painful consequences of another person's sin. But guess what? You're going to have to do that anyway. You might as well do it without bitterness, without hatred, the things that threaten to destroy our souls. Okay, but Dave, you don't know. You don't understand what I've been through. You don't know what that person did to me. And you're right, maybe I don't. So let's take a moment now. Let's take a moment to talk about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Can we do that? Let's talk about what forgiveness does and doesn't mean. Let's do that for the rest of our time here. When speaking about this topic of forgiveness, you often hear the phrase, forgive and forget. You heard that before? That's what genuine forgiveness is. Forgive and forget. Because isn't that what God does? Well, this is taken from a verse in Jeremiah where God says, I will remember their sin no more. But this is a metaphor, of course, right? God, it's a way of God saying, I'm not going to hold your sin against you, right? I mean, God can't forget anything, right? He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's unable to forget. But don't you think it's way more powerful that he still remembers, but he won't hold it against you? Isn't that more amazing? Rather than, I did this thing, oh, I'd forgotten about it, did you? He remembers, but he won't count it against you. That's far more profound. So in order to think, 
you know, to genuinely forgive, I've got to forget, that's misleading, right? And, and let's face it, it's impossible. It's not what God requires of us. Now, it might be easy in the small things, but come on, we're not talking about the small things. We're talking about the big things, the hard things to forgive. We must forget? No. But love keeps no record of wrongs. Tell you what, that's a profound little statement right there. Love keeps no record of wrongs. This is what forgiveness is. It's resolving never to throw the sin back in another's face. Because that's the temptation, isn't it? We, we can't forget, but we can choose not to weaponize past sins against somebody else. Let me try and illustrate this. Pip, um, Pip and I, my wife and I, we sometimes play this game uh, when it comes to the garbage bin in our home. It's called Who Can Stand It? <laughs> Maybe you, you play similar games at home. I don't know, with your housemate or spouse. No one likes taking out the bin. Can I get an amen? I mean, does anyone like it? Leave now. It's, it's Who likes it? Neither of us like it, okay? So when it comes to the garbage bin, it's a pretty big one. We make that thing take as much as it can. Push it down. We push it down. You know, as, when, when it gets really full, you lay it on top precariously. The, bit, the, the lid can hardly close. And the loser of this game who can stand it is the one who ends up taking out the rubbish, who finally gets there and opens it. It's over for, oh, I'd better take it out, right? That's the loser of this game. Now, of course, I'm joking. It's not a real game we play. It's in the subconscious, silly minds of ours. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I tell you what, marriage is a real place where this kind of tit-for-tat keeping score, remembering faults and using them against each other builds into unforgiveness and resentment. How many times have you taken out of the garbage this week? Yeah? Are these your dirty clothes on the floor? Oh, are you just going to keep walking around the dog poo like you don't notice it? Yeah, well, could, how do you even drive that car with all the junk in it? And so on and so on and so on. I'm getting some nods, yep. Do not rib your partner in, in, you know, do not elbow them right now. This is for you. We know this, right? The emotions escalate. And what do you think? I do more. If only they knew how much I did. I'm right. Pretty quickly, this one-upping, right? It turns to, to bringing up more things from the past, and you've got to go back further to get bigger things, and, and, and you, know, the, the, you need more ammunition to try and prove your case. It's a terrible game, isn't it? This is a terrible game. And let me say, there are no winners, only losers. You play this game, you will lose, both of you. Let me tell you who the real winner is, the one who apologizes first. That's the real winner. Break the chain of unforgiveness. It's a decision. Often forgiveness is an act of the will. Tell you what, if you're looking for ammunition for that kind of fight, you'll always find it. I promise you, it's always there. Because if you're married, you're married to a sinner. Except Pip, she's not married to... No, she is. <laughs> 
you're a, you're a good friend, you want to find fault with your friend, you will find it. Look for it and you will find it. You want to find fault with your parents, with your kids, you will find it. We are all sinners saved by grace. How do you want to live? In the logic of unforgiveness? Keeping score, keeping tally? Or pff, What do you want? There's a better way. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive and forget? No. Forgive and don't hold our faults against each other. All right, we've got a few more before we close here. Let's have a look at this together. What else? Genuinely forgiving someone also doesn't mean we'll no longer feel the pain of this person's offence, right? I mean, often people think, if I've genuinely forgiven that someone, then I, that person, then I wouldn't feel so... No. Often to stop hurting is just to stop feeling. And in order to do that, we've got to die emotionally, right? Which is not the solution. We're not robots. And again, God does not require this of us. We've got to, we've got to, sorry, we've got to recognize that pain might continue for some time, but this doesn't mean forgiveness hasn't taken place. What else? Forgiving someone does not mean we don't care about justice or we're minimizing what happened to us. I forgive them. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. I'm going to forgive them. No, it doesn't mean that. We can still long for justice while forgiving someone. See, vengeance, right? It's not in itself a bad thing. If it were, God would have a problem. Paul tells us, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Forgiveness is letting God deal with the offender in his own way at the appropriate time. And can we just be honest? He's more qualified than you. He's more qualified than me. Leave it to him because he is the God of justice. What else? Forgiving someone doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship will be completely restored, right? There's a difference between reconciliation and forgiveness. Now, if someone doesn't wish to be forgiven, reconciliation, I think, cannot take place. So what do we do? We do what we can. We can come to a place in our own heart, I know it's hard, of being able to offer forgiveness. And what they do is their choice. We can't control another person's actions. Also, if reconciliation does end up taking place, praise God, the relationship still might be different. Boundaries still might need to be put in place. But that doesn't mean genuine forgiveness hasn't taken place. Okay, lastly, forgiveness is rarely a one-time climactic event can be. It's got to start somewhere, but it's often a process, isn't it? You know, I, I personally was wrestling with these issues as a younger person about 20 or so years ago in trying to forgive my father and a wise pastor. I ended up meeting with him trying to process this and he really helped me. You know, I was incredibly angry uh, with how my dad had treated our family. He had abandoned my family when I was very young and I was just trying to process that. He hadn't been there for most of my life. And what do I do with that? How do I forgive him? And the pastor said some, real, some words that really helped me at the time. He said, you know what? 
You don't have to right now. You don't have to right now. Because I wasn't in a place where I could. So forgiveness was something to aim for, but it doesn't have to happen in his office there and then. Didn't have to happen overnight. It might take some time. And that was a relief because it did take some time. It took a while for God's grace to seep down into my broken heart before I could extend forgiveness. Friends, as we close, what Christ asks of us, let's face it, it's otherworldly. What Christ asks of us, I think proves that his kingdom is not of this world. We're called to act upon our citizenship of his kingdom when we choose grace over revenge, when we choose mercy over judgment, when we choose love over hatred, when we choose to love our enemies. It's the way of the kingdom of Christ. It's a better way. It's straightforward. It's simple. It's clear. But it's not easy. Let me close now with a powerful story to illustrate this point. Some of you may have heard of the incredible, wonderful Christian lady, Corrie ten Boom. Uh, She hid Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II, and her and her father and her sister Betsy ended up in Ravensbrück, a Nazi concentration camp because of their actions. In there, of course, as you can imagine, they were treated horribly, and her father and her sister died there. Corrie survived the war, and would you believe it, after she went around touring churches speaking about forgiveness as a Christian person. This one time in Germany, in a church, after the service, a man came up to her, and she recognised him immediately as one of the guards from the Ravensbrück concentration camp. He didn't recognise her, but she sure did. She remembered having to strip naked in front of him and walk past. She remembered him in his uniform, horrible, cold man with a, a leather riding crop hanging from his belt. She says, as he, as he walked towards her, can you imagine what she would have been feeling? As he walked toward her to say something to her after the service, she says, I felt so cold and angry towards this man. And as he approached, he said to her, a fine message, Fraulein Ten Boom, thank you. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your message. I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, and his hand came out. Once you were forgiven, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. But I was not able, I could not, I could only hate him. And then I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love. 
through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your enemies. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. You never touch the ocean of God's love so that when you forgive your enemies. A powerful story. The truth is, I reckon all of us have got work to do here. So we're now going to have a few moments of quiet, of reflection. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together in a moment. But before we do that, we're going to pray. And before we do that, I'm going to ask us to be quiet. Let's be still. Let's bow our heads. Let's be still and quiet. And let me ask you two questions. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you need to seek forgiveness from? Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we just firstly want to thank you for forgiving us. Jesus, thank you for paying the price we never could. And we ask, God, give us the strength to forgive. Give us the wherewithal, the wisdom to keep no record of wrongs. God, give us the strength to seek out forgiveness if we need to. Give us courage. Help us as individuals and as a church to promote a world of grace and forgiveness in a world of ungrace. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.